Welcome. Thank you for listening to Spiritual Living with author and teacher Francois Feinberg. May the message you're about to hear earnestly touch your heart, and may it encourage you in your ongoing love of God the Father, your enjoyment of the Lord Jesus Christ, and your fellowship in both the Holy Spirit and the body of Christ. The spiritual man has made up his mind. He is for the Lord. He's for the kingdom of the Lord. He is for the burden of God. And whatever God's heart's desire is, the spiritual man is going after it. And in going after God, in a way, he lays down the self, the ego, the independence, the opinion, his own view and paradigm. And he's chasing after the Lord. And he takes a hold of the Lord's heart through the Bible. He takes a hold of the Lord's heart through the Holy Spirit. He takes a hold of the Lord's heart through the body of Christ and also through even just a little bit of creation in the world. But for the spiritual man, God is doing everything he possibly can to dispense his heart and his burden into that man. And the spiritual man receives that works with it, calibrates his own life to it, and he adjusts and he denies and he dies to whatever may be a hindrance in pursuing and fleshing out and manifesting the Lord's heart. Paul the Apostle lived just such a life. After all, it is he who wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 15, he said, Jesus died for all so that those who live because of him may no longer live to themselves, but to him who died for them and has also been raised. The bottom line is the spiritual man, he may be in a practical vocation of sorts, but the overriding vision of this man, the overriding burden of this woman, is that they, they, they seek out God and they want to manifest God in whatever arena they are in. The spiritual man is no longer preoccupied with the self-life. He is constantly in prayer before the Lord saying, Lord, what is your heart? What is your will? Father, how do you want to do this? God, what do you want to say? The spiritual man, in a way, never arrives. He can never package a formula. He can never put a bookend on a kind of a, a principle, and this is exactly the way it's going to work. The spiritual man, he knows God's going to come through. He trusts God. But if you were to ask the spiritual man, how is God going to do this? He won't always know because he's in the journey to stay obedient to stay humble and pliable and vulnerable before God. The spiritual man does not have it figured out, but he knows who he is for. He is for God. God does not come into the spiritual man's world. It's as though the spiritual man has come into God's world. He seeks out what God is all about. Jesus spoke towards this end. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek God's righteousness. 
and all of these things will be added unto you. The spiritual man really is the man and the woman of the kingdom of God, as a man born of the Spirit of God, living in the Spirit of God, and for God, and he's for the kingdom. Today, I want to visit with you a little bit in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and then in Joshua chapter 5. And all the while, I will be asking this question. Now that you're a believer in Jesus, who do you live for? Who occupies uh, the, the majority of your attention, of your emotional capacity, of your heart and your love and your devotion? Is it the self-life still? Or is it God? Who, who are you really for? If you say that you're a believer, is there enough fruit in your life that can bear the testimony that any and everything you're about is really for God? That does not mean you have to quit what you are doing and now become, let's say, a full-time vocational Christian worker. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is whatever arena you're in, college, career, this profession, that vocation, it doesn't matter. Can, can folk identify you there as a person who's for the kingdom of God? That's a spiritual man. In a way, he is dead to himself and he's alive unto God. He's like a, not quite a zombie that's a dead man walking, but maybe a spiritual man is a dead man walking. Again, not in a zombie kind of a way, but maybe in the real way. It's, it's no longer I who live. It's no longer about me. And even though I live, yet it's not I who live, it's Christ. Are you one of those that's a spiritually dead man walking and living? The living dead, the dead living? Well, that's what I want to hint at today. The spiritual man is dead to himself. And he's dying to himself. He lives. He chases after. He passionately pursues the lover of his soul. None other than Jesus Christ himself. Second Corinthians chapter 5, I want to read just a few verses and then uh, we'll pick up a thought there that I hope will encourage you tonight. I trust that you will not walk out of these walls tonight the same way that you came in. Otherwise, we've wasted time. I want you to, uh, to know that any and every time, any and every minute we can be together before the Lord, we need to put a demand on God. Interaction, transaction. Um, you better believe that if you make the effort to get here, that it's the Lord's heart to impart to you, yeah. oh, you of little faith. Amen. So time will tell whether tonight is just another gathering, another kind of a hangout. I know most of you are here to find a guy, find a girl. Jesus comes a close second. I get that. We might even address some of that tonight. 
But if you have made a little bit of effort to draw near to the Lord, you better believe He's here to draw near to you also. So may the Word bless you tonight. And um, I want to pick up on one thought in a few verses uh, towards the end of it. But if you're in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, um, let's look at verse 9 and following. Are you there? Yes. Verse 9, Therefore also we are determined, whether we are at home or abroad, to gain the honor of being well-pleasing to Him. How's that going for you nowadays? <laughs> the honor of being well-pleasing to Him. I'm reminded when Jesus was baptized and also when in Matthew 17, the Lord was transfigured. The Father said, this is my boy. This is my beloved Son. I'm well-pleased with Him. I'm delighted in Him. My favor is upon Him. I want to be well-pleasing to You, Lord. Verse 10, For we must all be manifested before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one of us may receive the things done through the body according to what He has practiced, whether good or bad. How's your life developing? What's the rhythm of your life like? So that in time, when you and I stand before the Lord, how will you be rewarded for the life that you live now? In the job that you're in now? The way you treat that girlfriend and that boyfriend now? The way that you honor your mom and your dad and go the extra mile and turn the other cheek now. I think many of us, we know that one day we will stand before the Lord. But one day I'll get my act together. For now, I play a little bit. I'm a little loosey-goosey. I'm haphazard in my consecration before the Lord. Saints, how are you living in your private life and in your public life, in your family life and in your romance life, in such a way that when you stand before the Lord, He would not be ashamed of you and I and the way we've lived and have borne His testimony in this earth. Verse 11, Knowing therefore the fear of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest to God. Yet I hope that we are made manifest also in your consciences. We are not again commending ourselves to you, but so speak in order to give you an opportunity to boast on our behalf, that you may have an answer for those who are boasting in outward appearances and not in heart. For whether we are beside ourselves, it was to God. Or whether we are sober-minded, it's for you. Verse 14, For the love of Christ constrains us because we have judged this, that one died for all, and therefore all died. 
Um, I'm not sure if any of you all have been taught on your co-crucifixion with Christ, but it comes up in the writings of Paul all the time. You and I know that Jesus died for us. We appreciate that. But do you know that you also died in the Lord the day that He died? So much so that His death has been reckoned as your death. The reason is simple. Christ died for your sin. Christ died as your substitute. But you died so that your life before God can start over. And God don't have to hold your past against you. So in Christ, you died so that you can be brought forth in resurrection life. Even as Christ was brought forth. Now Christ died for your sin. Christ died to yeah, clear your record before the Lord. But you died with Him. So that if anybody in this room is to follow the Lord, none of us would follow Him out of our own strength, our own cleverness, our own education, our own power, our own might. But the Lord actually killed you in the Lord. So much so that if you were to be a follower of the Lord, He would have to raise you, fill you with life, put His Spirit within you so that when you live for the Lord, it's actually Christ living in you because you are done. We'll talk about that at another time. That's not even what I want to talk about. Walking with the Lord is really energetic, enjoyable. It is so much fun in the way of death. Because it's not up to me to make it happen. Why did the Lord ask Abraham to take his beautiful son, the son whom he loves, that promise, even that very gift that God gave in Isaac? Why did the father ask him to go offer that child, Isaac. Here's the truth. Abraham was so overprotective, overbearing, because the Lord had provided for him. The Lord had answered him. And Abraham was going to make this boy's future, roll it out in front of him, and Abraham was going to make it happen. And the Lord said, "Uh, uh, uh-uh-uh. If the Jewish people is to come forth, it has to come forth in the way of resurrection, not in the way of Abraham's strength. So the father asks him to put Isaac to death, and literally build an altar, raise a knife. And the book of Hebrews says, in the eyes of Abraham, Isaac was as good as dead, so that he literally received him as though from the dead. So now the Jewish people can live on in the life of resurrection kept by God, not by Abraham. Abraham is the father of the faith. And all of us who believe in Christ will follow a similar pattern the way Abraham lived. That's why the Lord killed you in Christ so that you can live a life in the Spirit, in resurrection. This is what Paul is hinting at. But my verse that I want to get to is verse 15. And He died for all. Jesus Christ died for all so that those who now live, that is, those that are now born of Him, inbreathed of Him, resurrected by Him, born from the heavens, 
He died for all so that those who now live may no longer live to themselves, but to Him who died for them and has been raised. Here's my question to you tonight. Are you a believer in Jesus insofar as He is a theory, a philosophy, a kind of a right theology? Or are you actually a dead person having been crucified and you absolutely unreservedly, unequivocally belong to your Lord? Or are you just one of those that if we were to put you and grow you up in a Buddhist country, you would probably choose Buddha as your religion as much as those of us growing up in our Christian culture choose Christ because it's just the nature of our culture. Are you literally one of those who's been resurrected from the dead? It's no longer you who live, but it's Christ who lives in you. And every aspect of your life is unto the Lord. Are you a follower, really, of the Lord? Are you just a kind of a believer? Somebody that acknowledges, even acquiesces. Yeah, I believe Jesus is right. Buddha, not so sure. (laughs) Saints, are you really living for the Lord? How much ambition is there still in you? I mean, how long actually when the Lord asks you to go take Isaac and put him on the altar, how long does it take you to obey? That's an indication of you living still your own life, your own will, your own intellect, your own emotion, what seems right and wrong to you. Or are you one of those that just absolutely anything the Lord asks? Sure. Any place on the planet? No problem, Lord. Any price, any sacrifice? You got it. I'm dead. I don't own a thing. I don't have a will. By the way, the last time you and I really should have made a choice was the day we accepted Jesus. (laughs) After that, my will is His. Yes, Lord. I belong to you, Lord. Amen? Amen. Okay, so you know that God promised this land uh, to uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob's descendants. And of course, they're in slavery in Egypt, and God raises up Moses, and Moses delivers them. And... uh, The spies go out, come back with a negative report, and so for the next 38, 40-ish years, they wander till all of that unbelieving generation has died down, and now there's the Joshua generation, your people. We all, every generation wants to be the Joshua generation. Okay. So there's Joshua, and... uh, I've been to Israel many, many times. I've actually been to the place where this event uh, occurred. Um, they, you know, they cross over the, uh, the Jordan River and then everybody gets circumcised. All those young men are so ready to go, tackle Jericho, go just conquer the land. And the Lord says, boys, strip them down. <laughs> Sorry, raise them up. They wore dresses back in the day. And uh, <clears throat> I need all the metalsmiths to sharpen some things. Uh, it's time to die. Oh, my. Um, I want you to see Israel, the Hebrew children, like those racehorses in the cages. They're on the, uh, the Jordan River plains there, 
There's Jericho, the promised land, and they're about to go into it. They've been waiting for 40 years, and, and they're ready to take what is theirs. And they're like that racehorse in that cage. You know, you see the, the Kentucky chicken or whatever y'all are doing. Uh, they call it a derby, which I'm not sure why. But you see those horses, they're standing there just twitching. They're just ready. And I see the, the young men, the Israelites, standing there on the plains, and they're just ready to take that city. And the Lord says, it's time to get cut the very center of your being. Get crippled. So that you're not going to take that city in your strength, young man. Your capability. So the Lord intentionally cripples the young men. And you know the story of Jericho. They had to go walk around that city. Instead of warring in that city, they had to go walk around that city. And I can just imagine those guys walking. Oh gosh, what are we doing? They're <laughs> laughing at us. This is embarrassing. And everybody's just throwing tomatoes and eggs and like, well, laughing at them. What God would circumcise His people? But there's a principle, and I can't go into it. There's a principle throughout all of the Bible that the folk that the Lord use, everybody goes through circumcision. Everybody goes through a kind of a cutting so that the life bleeds out of you that's the self-life, the independent life, the ego life, the strong life, the analytical life, the emotional life, so that God can flow a different kind of a blood life into you. Something that's not of this earth. So that's why the men get cut so that they bleed out. Figure of speech. Verse 13, now once when Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and he looked and behold, there was a man standing opposite him and his sword was drawn in his hand. A kind of a warrior a magnificent, fearsome man catches Joshua's attention. Joshua goes to him and says to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And if you are for them, whatever they're paying you, I want to double that. We need people like you on our team. My team is crippled in the camp. Interesting question. It shows you a little something of ego in Joshua. A little entitlement. After all, they are the people of God. And rumor has it in Jericho that that God that's with those people, He brought them out of Egypt. Don't mess with these people. Little entitlement. A little pride in God. Maybe too much confidence in God. And it's like, are you for us? Because if you're on our side, you're going to make it till the end of the day. But if you're on their side, I wish you all the best. And I find the answer of this very mysterious warrior man with a sword. I find his answer intriguing. Look at verse 14. This man says to him, Joshua, I'm neither for you or for your enemy. Saints, look up here. He's for his own purposes. 
He's for his own agenda. Joshua wants to invite this man, this warrior, into his world. Are you for us or for them? Don't you find that interesting that at football games, we do exactly the same? Lord, are you uh, for our team this today or for their team? And is it not true that all of us take a knee and we act very spiritual so God can get us through our game? He died so that those who live would no longer live for their agendas, their purposes, their visions, their games. He died so that those who live would live for Him. And here we have a quite peculiar incident. I'm not for you, even though he's the very one that brought them out of Egypt. Covered them with a cloud, fire, water out of a rock, the Amalekites defeated, manna, bitter water, a Red Sea, the plagues. Even though the Lord lavishes you and blesses you and provides for you, ultimately he's for his own purpose. He's doing his own thing. I'm neither for you, nor for you. I'm not for Alabama or Auburn. I'm doing my own thing. It's like Joshua says, do you want to be a part of our thing? He's like, no, dude, do you want to be a part of my thing? I know what I'm doing. Verse 14, he said to him, neither. Isn't that an interesting thing? So saints, he died. So that those of us who live may no longer live for ourselves. I hear folks often say, man, we just got to include God into my day. Since when? This is His day. It's the day that the Lord has made. He's inviting you and I to sell out. Like those 12 hooligans who left father and mother and houses and lands and boats. And the grasping of life and the pursuit of life, independent of God. They just left it all. Back in Israel, everybody wanted the rabbi for them and the rabbi wanted students for himself. And here comes a man, he says, I'm neither for the rabbis, I'm neither for you, I'm for my father. Where he goes, I go. What he says, I say. Am I inviting you to give it all up? I'm come have a ball with me. He knows what he's doing. I don't even know where he's going. I don't know where I'm going. But I just listen. I just obey and I go. I've lived such a life. How about you? When will you begin to live such a life? How hard is it for you to hold on to stuff? How hard is it for you to let go of this guy, this girl, this environment? And just follow whom you know to be the Lord. So yeah, I'm neither. And he says here, But as the captain of the Lord's army, I have now come. Then Joshua fell to the ground. Upon his face. And he worshipped. No music. No dimmed lights. No piano. He stood in front of an awesome person. And that person provoked him to fall down.
When was the last time Christ himself crippled you and made you just fall flat? Oh my goodness. Joshua sees this man. And he says to this man, whom we all know as Jesus Christ, Amen. You have been taught in this that the angel of the Lord was just Christ. But not Christ in His emptying, Christ in His full battle gear. Joshua says to him, what does my Lord speak to His servant? In other words, I'm done. I know you want to bring us into this land. I know you've got plans and purposes for us. I know we're the apple of your eye. I know you want to bless us. I know you're good to me. I know you want to heal me. I know you want to provide for me. I know there's a future and a hope. But he falls flat to the ground and says, Lord, I live for you. I respond to you. And therefore, God could speak to them. Just go walk around that city for seven days and don't say a word. Don't say a word. Because that man, Christ, the army behind him, it was their war. The battle belongs to the Lord. And Joshua and the Israelites just got to walk in to what God was already doing. See, some of you, you're pushing and you're striving and you're working and you're like, oh, when am I going to get breakthrough? You just got to jump on the breakthrough that's already there and reckon yourselves according to it. Saints, in verse 15, the captain of the, the Lord's army said to Joshua, this is basically just Christ. We all know that. He says to them, remove your sandals. He says to Joshua, remove your sandals. Get rid of things in your life. And sandals represent your walk, your journey. Get rid of the way you think things ought to be done. Get rid of your calculating analytical trajectories. Get rid of your strategies. Remove those things. You know, in the prodigal story, the father put sandals on him. We have that principle in the new covenant, the putting off and the putting on. Here the Lord says, Joshua, get rid of your agendas and your techniques, and your principles and know-hows and your, your steps and your strategies. I'm fighting a war. I just want you to come have a front row seat. Check it out. Get rid of your sandals. In the prodigal story, the father puts his walking onto that boy. His journey onto that boy. Remove your sandals from your feet for the place in which you're standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Is everybody with me?